Hello, and welcome to When We Were Young, the show where we discuss the things we loved growing up and experience them again to see if they hold up when we are adults. <laughs> <laughs> We've previously covered everything from David Bowie's Bulge in Labyrinth to Hanson's Mbop on Now That's What I Call Music, Volume 1. But which one was bigger? <laughs> an Mbop just sounds smaller than a cod piece, what about an right? Mbop. <laughs> Bulge. Labyrinth sequel. (laughs) Bulge. I'm Becky, and I'm the podcast host, most likely to hold signs up on your street corner stops, but like most, you try not to see me. I'm Seth Pearson, the co-host most likely to be exposed, and it's no big surprise. (laughs) Speaking of large and small cod pieces. All cods great and small. (laughs) And I'm Chris, your podcast host most likely to have changed since yesterday without any warning. (laughs) That's very true. I thought I knew you. Mostly your hair. (laughs) True. Today we are heading into the Tragic Kingdom, a.k.a. Anaheim, California, to discuss the little Orange County band that brought ska punk to the masses in the mid-90s when most people were still headbanging to grunge. That's no doubt. We will mostly be focusing on their breakthrough album, Tragic Kingdom, but we'll talk about their early material as well as their follow-up albums, too. But Tragic Kingdom is the album I think we have brought up the most on this podcast without actually covering it, so it was about time. Yeah, seriously. It's true. I think contractually we're now obligated to talk about them. Yeah, definitely. So it's safe to assume that this album has made the biggest mark on all three of us in our early youth. So before we get to No Doubt and Tragic Kingdom, Chris, do we have any reviews? We sure do, Becky. Oh, wow. Whoa. (laughs) This is a (laughs) five-star review coming from Madam K., the title of the review is Insightful and Fun. Mm. Mm. That is the actual title. I wasn't just saying that her title was Insightful <laughs> and Fun. <laughs> oh. her, her title, Madame, is also Insightful and yes. Fun. This is a short review, but a sweet one. It says, I love listening to Becky, Seth, and Chris talk. They have very different perspectives and are very engaging. I find myself constantly wishing I could chime in. Mm. Well, go ahead and do it. We can't hear you because we've recorded this <laughs> weeks or months ahead chime of time. Chime away. Chime away. Go ahead. Pop in whenever you'd like to, <laughs> Madam K. Uh, I have another important update. Ooh. I looked for my raptor friend. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Call back to Labyrinth episode when we talked about best friends. Chris's elementary school. Yes. Best it was friend. not a high school friend. <laughs> <laughs> I believe this was the time Jurassic Park came out and you were talking about how your best friend would communicate via raptor sounds. Yes. He was uh, clicking and shrieking. <laughs> and I looked him up on Facebook. Thank Unfortunately, you. his name is rather common. I did not find any sign. I looked for a good half hour. Oh, so you don't have an update. No, I have an update <gasps> that there's no update. Oh, this was bullshit. No. I- but maybe he's in the hallway. Cancel the episode. <laughs> I was ready for a raptor I update. I made him listen to Tragic Kingdom, and he'll be here any minute now. Ugh, I, how can we even go on now? I have one more important update <laughs> that you also will probably not like. <laughs> In reference to the Romeo and Michelle episode mm-hmm. several episodes ago, my sister was very upset with me. Why? That I did not mention that she has a cat named Romy Michelle. Oh. How did you miss that? I'm sorry, there was a lot to talk about. So my sister is holding her five-star review hostage until I mention her cat on the podcast. We better get a review next week. Yeah. You know what? Uh, Okay, so two action items. Hopefully any other listeners out there who've enjoyed the podcast, please leave us reviews like Madam K did. And also, if you're a cat, please leave a review of the show on iTunes. Or if your cat is named after any... Blair Witch. (laughs) Twister. Gwen Stefani. Any of those will do. Stanley Ipkiss, the cat. (laughs) Seinfeld. 
Come on. I bet there's Keep a Seinfeld going. cat out there. Come Buffy, on. Buffy the cat. How many other episodes of the show do we actually one. remember? <laughs> Dumb Dumb Blue the cat. <laughs> yep. Okay. I feel like we just about covered. Long Duck Dong the cat. <laughs> now that's what I call cat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely naming my next dog. Now that's what I call dog volume <laughs> one. Volume, volume 62. one. 62. I, I... <laughs> Each time one dies, the next one gets named the next number. <laughs> that's so funny. Is that is that all the updates we have? Yes, I've, I've had it up to here. <laughs> so before we talk about Tragic Kingdom, I want to start the podcast with a question, and that is, who was your pop culture role model growing up, and why did you look up to them? But why are you asking us this, Becky? You'll find out. I would say Captain Planet. He's our hero. He'll, you know, he'll take pollution really? down to zero. My pop cultural hero? Most of, I don't know, I didn't have... Like role model. Role model. Hmm. I don't know, like Fiona Apple, I would say, was an early one for me. Because I first heard of her when she did the thing at the MTV Music Awards, where she said, like, award shows are bullshit. Mm-hmm. Believe in yourself. This whole industry is full of shit that um, explains so much <laughs> no it does that was it around does. 1997 or 8 it, but then I listened to her music and she immediately became I mean and still is one of the best songwriters ever and one of my favorite artists ever the fact that I was like introduced to her by that act of defiance which as easily laughed at as it is was a bit of truth telling that people in her place normally do not do that's why it was such a big deal yeah it was legitimately a big deal Mine is a real current reference from the year 1900, which is when his big hit came out. Scott Joplin. (laughs) The entertainer was a great influence on my early life. Yeah, I mean, I liked a lot of things growing up, but I wouldn't call any of them my idol. Like, Batman, I'm like, I didn't necessarily strive to be Batman or a scientist breeding dinosaurs in a theme park. So the one that I would say who I wanted to have similar influence to was L. Frank Baum, the author of The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. And I was a big fan. He wrote actually 14 Wizard of Oz books, and I devoured them all multiple times, read their many, many sequels, wrote my own stories. So I would say... As a child, that's definitely like the closest thing to something that I wanted to be was someone who had created a fantasy world that was beloved for a hundred years afterwards and even more. There's still time. <laughs> You'll get there. Maybe you've already written that story and it has to be discovered. Maybe it's this podcast. <laughs> it could be. Well, my person is Gwen Stefani. <laughs> Big surprise. <laughs> I thought it was Tyne Daly. That doesn't surprise you guys because you know me. People listening to this podcast may not know me in real life. Listeners, she's also wearing a No Doubt shirt. (laughs) (laughs) I came in wearing a No Doubt shirt, wearing my Gwen Gwen Stefani's skin. (laughs) (laughs) No, someone else's skin that she made to look like Gwen Stefani's skin. Uh, Get it right, Chris. I really wanted to do No Doubt because, I mean, they're my favorite band, if I had to choose a favorite band. And I think a lot of people know that about me. That's just one of those things that... No Doubt, we do. (laughs) And Gwen Stefani, since I was about 15 or 16 when I discovered No Doubt for the first time, has been a role model to me for a few different reasons. One of them is that she's one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my entire life. I think she's absolutely gorgeous. But the way she presents herself is in a very comfortable, kind of tomboyish way. And at the time, that wasn't something that was a normal thing for pop stars. They would wear heels or they'd be like in these tiny little get-ups with big boobs. And I was, you know, overweight and, and an outsider. 
as a kid. And even though Gwen like is super fit and athletic, like she always looked comfortable and she always looked confident in her skin and she'd wear these crop tops and she was sexy, but she, she wasn't trying to be sexy. She just was sexy. You know, it looked like she was dressing for herself. And to an impressionable, you know, 14 year old that is looking to pop culture and celebrity to see how I should view myself, there's just something about her that always struck me as somebody totally confident in their skin, even though she was super fit and thin and conventionally beautiful. There's just something about how she carried it that I felt like I could have that too. I really love her fashion style, um, like the whole rockabilly 1940s thing is just something I've always liked. And maybe it's because of how much I liked her that that sensibility just kind of bled into my own fashion. So I've I've worn like um, victory rolls in my hair whenever my hair is long enough, like ever since, you know, I discovered Gwen Stefani and she would wear them. Like there's just something about that style that I just really like. I've seen No Doubt live many, many, many times. And there's a part of her that people don't get to see unless they see No Doubt Live, which is she's just commanding the stage and she, you know, is running back and forth. And she's, you know, at least in these Tragic Kingdom days, she's not wearing heels. She's wearing like shoes that she can run around the stage in and she's jumping on things and she's jumping in the crowd and she's jumping up and down. And it's very athletic and very excitable. And I think that just captured kind of my personality where No Doubt was really fun, but vulnerable and powerful. And it was something that if I didn't have that quality when I was younger, that's what I wanted to aspire to have. I mean, I'm going off on a rant here of just how much she really affected me. But and just another thing that I just love about her is that she's in a band of guys, but she's the leading figure of this band of guys. And it's not Gwen Stefani with a backing band. It's No Doubt. And they're a unit. But she writes about being a woman and she has these poetic musings about a very specifically female perspective that I think I hadn't really seen in music before. And it, when I actually started paying attention to lyrics and songs, it was around the same time um, Jag Little Pill came out. And I remember it was Jag Little Pill and Tragic Kingdom were the first two albums that I actually looked in the lyrics book and read what they were singing about. And I was just kind of blown away, especially with Tragic Kingdom, how much of a female perspective it was from. Some songs are a little bit more broad and universal, but almost all of them are very clearly a woman is speaking about her experience. And that was something that I didn't have a lot. And so right from the get-go, I was just, and she wrote the lyrics to the songs. She co-wrote them, but she was very instrumental in providing her experiences. And there was just something about that that was lacking in my life too. And she just seems like a nice person. Like, I've never heard bad stories. And she seems like a normal person. Like, I think that if you would grab a drink with her, she'd probably be kind of boring. Like, she'd just be like a boring mom. She seems you know? like a Cali like, chick. She just know? seems like, like a cool chick, but like, there's nothing there that you'd be really intimidated by. That's just a feeling I get. <laughs> and I could Becky be, has uh, often imagined herself <laughs> having a drink with Gwen Stefani. Oh, she's, she's had so many imaginary I, drinks with Gwen. I've worked as a red carpet reporter, and I've interviewed so many celebrities, and I've never interviewed Gwen. And it kills me. It kills me to this day that I've never been able to even say, like, hi, and I, I love you so much. Well, and we have Gwen right here. <laughs> She's waiting outside with my fifth grade friend, the raptor. <laughs> the raptor has eaten Gwen Stefani. You guys, the raptor has eaten Gwen Stefani. No! <laughs> Is she just a clever girl? <laughs> uh, that's all that mm, you'll that's let good. her be that's before good. you eat her. We might as well wrap up here. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, our work here is done. I mean, I could go on and on about how much I love Gwen Stefani. I mean, it'll come up 
as we talk about <laughs> their albums. Wait, you like her? Yeah, I like her a lot. So that's, you know, my general overall feelings <laughs> for Gwen Stefani. Um, Pretty vague, really. But but I really do yeah, love, sure. I really love the band. And I was first introduced to No Doubt in 1997. You may recall that he was the guy I was in love with when I saw Chasing Amy a lot. Doom, doom on the horizon. <laughs> so yep. hit so his pop culture crush was Gwen Stefani. And I didn't really know much about No Doubt at the time. I probably heard their singles, but didn't really get into them. But he loved her, and I wanted to date him and love him. So I needed to learn more about Gwen Stefani. I learned needed to learn more about No Doubt. I made I think maybe that's when I bought Tragic Kingdom, was like, I gotta impress Justin. To make a gay man love you. <laughs> Becky? I'm going to tell you something right now. I Justin is never going to love you. You can let this whole Gwen Stefani thing go. Just it sounds now. like this is the real Tragic Kingdom. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Well, anyway, so that's when I got started listening to No Doubt and start, you know, paying attention to Gwen. And, you know, that didn't work out. Our relationship it lasted a month. And then he came out as gay. And we're still friends to this day. But, um... My love of No Doubt, like, surpassed, you know, trying to impress some guy. Like, I actually really liked them. I've seen them so many times in concert. The first time was when I was 16 for the Return of Saturn tour. And, I mean, it's been dozens of times since. For their comeback tour in 2008, they didn't even have an album out, and they still toured, and I saw them four times. I, like, flew to the East Coast for one of those. So I'm a really big fan. Guys, what is your relationship to No Doubt? As you alluded to earlier, I have mentioned No Doubt on the podcast several times. Before I was introduced to No Doubt, I listened exclusively to Disney soundtracks for what was probably a little bit too long. They were all on cassette, and then I bought Hercules soundtrack on CD. Ooh, <laughs> I bought Hercules soundtrack. Disc? Yes, it was. It was my first CD, and it was also my last Disney soundtrack purchased. I thought you were going to say, and it was my last CD. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I was officially forbidden from buying CDs after that point. No, but there was just something that felt <laughs> kind of Goody wrong about the age that I was. I guess I was like probably, ooh, 97. Ooh, yeah. I was like 13, 14. It's because CDs were cool. Yeah. And you couldn't buy Disney music on like a cool format. Right, yeah. It always felt okay on tape because I had all the other tapes, but when it was its own CD, I was like, oh, this is just all by itself in the <laughs> CD rack. So that's our connection to the Disney episode hmm. of uh, when we were young. I would also like to mention the Romy and Michelle episode <laughs> where I also mentioned... There's a lot of overlap on these podcasts as we continue to Honestly, record them. Honestly, you guys, it's worth it just to rediscover the whole catalog of when we were young. Available on iTunes. So I also mentioned on that episode that my introduction to No Doubt came via Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion because Just a Girl plays over the opening credits. So that movie came out in April 1997, which was fairly well after Tragic Kingdom was released, but it, I had not heard the song before. And so I kind of figured it was an 80s song that I hadn't heard before because the rest of the soundtrack was 80s songs. So I bought Romy and Michelle soundtrack. And I bought more music from Romeo and Michelle. There was no, no doubt to be found. So I had to buy Tragic Kingdom, which was my first mm. CD by a band. <laughs> it was a big deal. Something that was not wow. connected to movies. It was just... That was your first one. That's awesome. A band. And you bought it just for that song. I did. Yeah. I had not heard the rest of it. Um, but I remember like telling my friend Desiree... Uh, who was really into punk and ska at the time, and she had that skater look. She kind of had a little Gwen Stefani thing going mm -hmm. down. You probably would have been <laughs> wearing her skin as well. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, 
Oh, duh, that's No Doubt, because she had been on the No Doubt train probably before even Tragic Kingdom was released, mm-hmm. or at least, like, she was uh, an early adopter, and I was definitely finding out about them as they were hitting the pop mainstream. Um, so I bought it. Uh, it was a big moment. I felt like a real person. I think <laughs> that that is, like, buying your first, like, band album is a rite of passage. Tragic Kingdom may have been the first one. Mm. Honestly. And I, I graduated from boy to man. <laughs> Just a man. Wait, or, not not through boys to men albums? <laughs> no, I'm afraid not. Um, but despite being a big fan of this album at the time, I didn't really follow No Doubt too closely after that. I didn't have their follow-up um, album, Return of Saturn. Mm-hmm. Return to Saturn. Return, Return of, of Return Saturn. Of Saturn. <laughs> okay. It could be either one. Um, so I would call myself more of a casual fan after that. No Doubt was sort of like my gateway drug into bands that were a little um, edgier and a more like pop punk, like Green Day, Eve Six, uh, Zebrahead. And um, I listened to a lot of <laughs> punk at the time. So uh, I, would s- I didn't necessarily keep up with No Doubt. Although me and Chris have a very nice memory of freshman year of college, we walked to the shitty hole-in-the-wall <laughs> uh, uh, music store across the street from USC, and we bought Rocksteady together. We did, and then we took pictures. We of did. It. We took pictures to commemorate the moment. Um, yeah, it's every, a special every time. time I think I hear Rocksteady, I think of um, freshman year in college. Yeah, uh, hella good, and some of those other songs hey are definitely like the yeah, Hey Baby were the soundtrack to us yeah. driving to Jerry's famous deli, <laughs> and, uh, all kinds of shenanigans. Seth. Spiderwebs is the first song on Tragic Kingdom. It was the first single from Tragic Kingdom, and it was the very first No Doubt song that I ever heard in my life. Um, I've mentioned this before um, in the context of uh, now that's what I call music and Jock Jams and the other compilation CDs. Shout out to another episode <laughs> of Shout our show. Shout out to yet another episode. Again, you guys, just catch up on the canon. It's worth It's worth it. <laughs> It's okay. A lot of my taste in music was shaped by friends of mine I went to elementary school with. They would have portable CD players, discmans, if you will, and they would let me borrow their headphones when they got new CDs so I could listen to a song or two with them. And so that was my first exposure to Alanis Morissette, Jock Jams, and that like weird 90s dance pop. Are you ready for this? I, I was not ready for it. A friend of mine who was a cheerleader at school would always have the newest CDs as for, like when they first came out. So I heard like Jagged Little Pill, like a couple songs off of that. And that was actually the first CD that I bought with my own money. But Tragic Kingdom was literally just the second or third. That was the first time I heard Alanis Morissette. That was the first time that I heard Jock Jams and like compilation mix CDs. And that was the first way that I heard No Doubt. The first time that I heard Spiderwebs, I was like, what is this music? There's distorted guitar, and there's brass instruments, and there's weird guitar effects, and like all this all this interesting musical stuff. And then also, um, the bridge of the song is really, really great and, uh, and very different from the rest of the song, and then like kind of, 
you know, like a bridge does, runs back into the main chorus. And so, like, as a pop song, it was really interesting and, like, a really well-written song. And I thought Gwen's voice was just so powerful. A word that I would use to describe it as, like, caterwauling. Her voice is so energetic and kinetic and frenetic, in other words that rhyme with edit. <laughs> and epileptic. I have really loved No Doubt a long time. Now, I'm not nearly as into the later albums as you are. I kind of fell off with Hella Good. Really, really fell off. I kind of feel like she made a very deliberate turn toward pop music in the very popular sense of it. Whereas I thought before she was like a great pop and pop rock songwriter. I understand. Um, But I still have like really great appreciation for her and really, really for this band. That was the a big part of the initial pull for me was the power of the band, the power of the drummer, the power of their bassist, who was like one of the first bassists whose work in a song I noticed is really elevating and keeping the the rhythm up and the energy up and even the guitarist i really like initially really appreciated as part of the dynamic of the music that they were making so let's learn a little bit about no doubt no doubt's musical style has been characterized as ska punk reggae fusion punk rock pop punk new wave alternative rock pop rock i think all of that is a little true and it kind of depends on the album because mm-hmm. their musical style has uh, varies album to album. So No Doubt was formed in 1986 in Anaheim, California. Gwen Stefani on vocals, Tony Canal on bass and keyboards, Tom Dumont on guitar and keyboards, and Adrian Young on drums. They also work with keyboardist and trombonist Gabriel McNair and keyboardist and trumpeter Stephen Bradley. Um, the band was initially started by Gwen's older brother, Eric Stefani. Gwen was on the backing vocals and a guy named John Spence was on lead vocals. Uh, Tony Canal joined the band as a bassist and soon after began dating Gwen, although the first year of their seven-year relationship was in secret because uh, all of Eric's band members and friends kind of had a, I guess, an understanding that nobody should date his little sister. Yeah. (laughs) But it ended up happening anyway. Um, In December 1987, the band was set to play a gig at the Roxy for record industry reps, but just a few days before, John Spence committed suicide. So the group disbanded for a few weeks. Another guy took over vocals at some point, but he soon left after that, and Gwen stepped in as the lead singer. So the band went through two singers before Gwen stepped in. The band got themselves a loyal following in Southern California and were signed to a new label called Interscope in 1990. The band was much more upbeat and pop and ska than what was currently on the air in 1990, which was a lot of grunge music, you know, Nirvana and Nirvana wannabes. Um, Their debut album only sold 30,000 copies and Interscope lost interest in them. So Interscope didn't even help the band fund a tour to promote their album. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy of, well, you're not doing well, we're not going to help you. (laughs) Eric Stefani was getting a little jaded at this point, being in a band, having a label try and take creative control. So he left the band to focus on his animation career, and he got a job on The Simpsons. Wow. (laughs) Which is kind of amazing that he left the band that would go on to be one of the biggest bands in the last 30 years, and he went to the show that would be the biggest TV show in 30 years. Choices, choices. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. It kind of would have sucked if he went on some show that was canceled the next year, and then 
no doubt, like, you know, <laughs> sold millions of copies. Eric, during his time in The Simpsons, drew his sister and his old band into a 1996 episode of The Simpsons called Homer Palooza, where Homer performs at a music festival. You can see a woman that looks like Gwen Stefani with a little bindi and blonde hair behind Homer at some point, along with the other band members. So There's also, that nice. uh, that's where the Smashing Pumpkins appeared as well. Yes. Yeah. So around the same time, Tony Canal broke up with Gwen after dating for seven years. The band released their second album, The Beacon Street Collection. It sold 100,000 copies and it renewed Interscope's faith in the band. And they financed what would be their third and most successful album, Tragic Kingdom. And uh, it was kind of because of Tony and Gwen's breakup, Gwen was inspired to write a lot of breakup songs and they appeared on Tragic Kingdom. Kind of awkwardly, you think. <laughs> you think. Hey, yeah. Can't imagine being in a band with my ex-boyfriend of that long and then writing about our breakup and he's in the band performing, performing the songs. all the songs. Yeah. <laughs> well, but this is also a dynamic that's played out in a lot of other bands that have gone on to huge success. You know, like it's true with Fleetwood Mac as well. That's like kind of the dynamic of the whole band is that they all fucked around on and cheated on each other and had horrible breakups with each other. Hmm. And so it's just interesting. And I just pause on that because that's a thing that's happened in a lot of bands. And so I think there may be a way in which that like, keeps the flame of it alive Maybe. rather than making it like weird that you sing about this heartache that you experienced together with this person a million times like maybe that weirdness kind of fuels it maybe i know sleater kinney i think had that um, oh i don't know i don't know if they had that the white stripes yeah absolutely so, yeah so it's not unheard of just so, awkward just rock and roll not babe. a whole lot of ex-boyfriends that i'd want to <laughs> Explore our relationship with uh, Not musically, music format. At least. Yeah. So let's talk about their first two albums. The self-titled debut album, No Doubt, released in 1992. And the, Be- and the Beacon Street Collection in 1995. Their self-titled debut was produced and distributed as an independent release and then re-recorded and released by Interscope, produced by Dito Godwin. As I said before, it was sold 30,000 copies, which would be... Honestly, that's a huge number now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, today? Like, damn. <laughs> for like I, for an indie band. Any band. That's like the the whole business model. Yeah, I know. Changed, it's all, it's you know, all but different. Still. So yeah, the band paid for and released their own video, Trapped in a Box. The Beacon Street Collection came out in 1995. It was released independently by the band's own record label, Beacon Street Records, recorded in a homemade recording studio in a garage in Anaheim. They were still signed to Interscope at the time, but Interscope didn't give a crap about them. So they just released their own own album on their own made-up label. It worked because they sold 100,000 copies. It got Interscope's attention and ensured that they would finance their third studio album. Did you guys listen to these first two albums? I did. I listened to most of No Doubt, and I listened to basically all of Beacon Street. No Doubt is very dated sounding. I think it's uh, too reliant on ska. Very ska. Like, it is so ska heavy. But also, it's not super well mixed and produced. It sounds like interesting music, but amateurly produced. Yeah. Um, And, and, uh, like, there, there are, you can definitely tell the seeds of what comes later and what really works about the band it's just not all shining through just yet um but the beacon street collection i was blown the fuck away by like the first three songs on that are like absolutely each like killer killer like pop rock songs and they're so well produced and so well executed i didn't know at all that it was self-produced by them Mm -hmm. but tragic kingdom only came out like seven months or so after the beacon street collection came out beacon street came out in march and tragic kingdom was in october yeah it's so clear how like their time like building a studio and like that time being ignored 
must have been a huge like creative um, furnace for them to like uh, stew in and work on their songwriting and work on their production. The difference is like it is the no doubt in Beacon Street is the same no doubt that's in Tragic Kingdom. Just better production, I feel like. With well, I mean, we'll talk it's about somewhat, it. I think it's somewhat more, uh, somewhat larger instrumentation. Like, there's definitely more like brass and stuff on Tragic Kingdom, but I still think Beacon Street has like all of the cylinders of no doubt, like firing, um, and like the the bass is really excellent and like really goes with Gwen's vocals really well. I think one of the things that's strongest about No Doubt is Gwen Stefani's um, like vocal harmonies and her vocal arrangements, mm-hmm. and I think those are really in place on Beacon Street. It was just, it was really exciting um, as someone who was already a fan of that era of them to to hear it this time like to hear it so i also listened to these albums or at least i tried to (laughs) Um, i did not get all that far through no doubt uh i just it had the unfortunate side effect of reminding me of like zoot suit riot and the swing (laughs) revival that came later in the 90s It's very swing adjacent that i think they were probably like largely responsible for is that like brass sound like becoming mainstream in something like Tragic Kingdom and then kind of growing to be swing music and Brian Seltzer Orchestra and Mm -hmm. all that. But I've never enjoyed really brassy music for the most part, so it was just not so much for me. Beacon Street Collection, I thought Open the Gate was a really strong opener that sounded a lot like the sound that I think of as No Doubt. Open the gate The rest of the album I didn't enjoy that much. It felt kind of lounge music-y in places, and I can imagine some of these songs like Total Hate being fun to listen to live. They have a lot of energy, but it wasn't necessarily fun for me to listen to just as a song on its own. It kind of struck me as a cross between some of it is like cheesy jazz, and then some of it is really interesting and unpredictable jazz, but the cheesy stuff is the stuff that I didn't really enjoy. Whereas the unpredictable sounds, like a lot of their songs go in places that you don't necessarily expect them to. And I enjoyed that, but then they would always come back to a sound that I just thought was cheesy. And I will say that a lot of what Seth said about Tragic Kingdom being present on this album is true, but where I don't find that being true is in the lyrics of the songs. I find the lyrics to this very basic and kind of amateurish, like songs like Snakes and Doghouse are just like really basic Mm -hmm. metaphors. And I just find the songwriting so weak that I couldn't really enjoy those songs. So to be honest, like I had heard of this album before and I was aware of it for a long time. I'd never bought these albums, I think, because I suspected that I wouldn't like them that much. And I was a little surprised that I didn't find more to like on this album personally. Yeah. So, I mean, like the lyrics are definitely weaker. He wrote everything on Beacon Street. Oh, did he? I mean, they may have they may have written together on songs, but Eric is definitely present on the lyrics on Beacon Street. I agree with Chris. I agree with both of you. I think that you can see the stepping stone from each album on their way to Tragic Kingdom. Definitely. And I think that I'm always surprised by Beacon Street, how much I do enjoy it when I put it on. I just don't put it on very often, and I don't think about it. Whereas Mm -hmm. Tragic Kingdom, I'll probably listen to it twice a year. I think every song they've ever recorded after Beacon Street is better than Beacon Street, but Beacon Street still has serviceable good songs with some good hooks. I just don't think about it. It's kind of not super memorable. 
And it also has, Chris, what you are seeing as cheesy jazz. I actually don't see it as jazz at all. I think what leaps out at me most in that album is still present in later No Doubt stuff, but it's a lot of heavy metal influence. Hmm. Like, there is a real theatricality, both in terms of the lyrics and especially in terms of the music and the chord progressions. By the way, Tom Dumont, the guitarist and keyboardist, did come from heavy metal before No Doubt. Right. And that really comes through. And I mean, that still comes through like in Tragic Kingdom in the way that he chooses his riffs. Again, in a way that later is much more to the service of the band and the songs. But I think in Beacon Street and also on the self-titled No Doubt, there's a lot more heavy metalness also to the songwriting as well. And I think that is actually one of the things about no doubt that attracted me to them because I was into like Andrew Lloyd Webber and that kind of mm-hmm. super theatrical, super pop in the Beatles sense, but also has like heavy metal aspects to it, especially like Phantom of the Opera. Tragic Kingdom was released October 10th, 1995 by Trauma Records. That was a division of Interscope. It was recorded in Los Angeles from March 1993 to October 1995. Over Long time. About two years plus it was produced by matthew wilder it sold over 16 million copies worldwide it's currently number 67 on the u.s billboard 200 all-time charts wow giant hit big old hitties (laughs) um the album had seven singles including don't speak which hit number one on the billboard hot 100 airplay and stayed there for 16 consecutive weeks years (laughs) <laughs> it's still playing it today. It felt like years. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you re- remember when that was number one? I certainly do. Oh my God. <laughs> no, it was inescapable. The album topped the Billboard 200 album charts and hit number one in various countries around the world. Gwen wrote almost all the lyrics on the album. She was responsible for pretty much every song. Eric is credited for writing The Climb and Tragic Kingdom by himself. And it's interesting that you can kind of figure that out without knowing that. Because those are the two songs that are more about storytelling. And they're the only songs that really aren't from a specifically female perspective. Yeah. And there are also the songs that I most often skipped, I think, when I was (laughs) listening to this album as a teenager. I mean, what I love about this album as a whole... Spoiler. <laughs> I guess it's not a spoiler. We're just talking about it right now. <laughs> Becky really likes we've no reached doubt. We're, we're getting it um, out there. You guys. <laughs> this, this Twist. <laughs> this album is phenomenal still. I think this album is perfect. There are ranges of songs that I prefer, like over others, but I think it's flawless. I love it. It's angry and it's vulnerable. It's off-center and it's bright and poppy, but it's also kind of dark and it's sarcastic. It has attitude. I personally really respond to the angry and in-your-face passion in this album, um, apparent through like the music and Gwen singing. And I haven't taken too much of a break from this album from my youth. Like I do put it on at least once a year, or I'll take songs and make playlists, and so I'll I'll hear a lot of No Doubt, um, particularly Tragic Kingdom. But when I play it front to back, I mean that's just how I prefer listening to it. Is from Spiderwebs to Tragic Kingdom. Um, the whole album is pretty much like one track to me. Like, when I finish Spiderwebs, I'm expecting Just a Girl to play right after it. Like, it's one 40-minute song. Yeah, well, and it's also really well-sequenced as an album, where the songs flow into each other and have little, like, intro and outro bits that kind of link them together. I think it's a an album that's very, like, laid out very clearly as an album, even though it also happens to have, like, some of the most gigantic mega hits of my youth in it. Yeah. So what did you guys think overall before we get to specific songs? Um, how did had it been a long time since you listened to this album and what did you think? For me it had been a long time since I'd listened to most of it. 
I have heard, obviously, Just a Girl, like, fairly frequently since this album came out, because it's been one of those songs that still plays on the radio. Mm-hmm. And it's still in random trailers, even for movies, yeah. it's not on the soundtrack. <laughs> right, that song never went away. Um, and occasionally I feel like I still hear Spiderwebs a f- fair amount, too, like, on the radio. Um, but I had not heard this album, like, from front to back probably since like the year 2000 or so and i had as soon as i put it on i remembered like pretty much every single song but a lot of them i had not heard in you know 15 or even longer years overall i enjoyed the album listening to it again i think what i took away from it the most overall this time is how much of a female perspective it was i don't think that was something i really noticed at the time largely because it was the only cd i'd ever heard <laughs> so i was like it must be a male perspective because i own it and yeah. i don't know anything compact else. discs must be like this no i just like i hadn't heard a lot of other rock or punk or ska or whatever music we're calling this <laughs> to compare it to so for me this was just like the fact that it was a female perspective was not novel to me the fact that it was music was novel to me <laughs> i was like there's a person singing and they're not in a animated musical it was just shocking to me uh no but now listening to it I mean, it did remind me a lot of Jagged Little Pill because it came out around the same time. And both albums, I think, are pretty singular. They're hard-edged in a way and in many ways are comparable to a lot of male bands that came out at this time. But I think a lot of these songs have such a perspective that they just wouldn't have been written by men. They're just, they have a female perspective to them. And that's something that really stands out amongst other songs from this time. I have not, I had not listened to the whole album the whole way through for a very long time. I think it was probably college when I last listened to it all the way through, you know? I have Tragic Kingdom and Return of Saturn on CD. Those were the two, uh, no doubt, albums I had. Um, and I hadn't really brought out either in a very long time. Never really had them on my computer or my like iPod, iPhone. The cloud. Um, or the cloud, not even there. Um, so it was. It had been a really long time, and it made me so happy to listen to it again all the way through. Because I mean, not only like do all of the singles now play like they're so fresh, mm-hmm. they're like still such like vibrant songs. Um, so like all of that kind of being sick to death of hearing them played everywhere all the time. That's all that had all washed away in that time. Um, And then also it was a chance to like, remember all the little like earworm, like pop hooks that are in all of these songs that like, I will randomly get stuck in my head and not even remember them as like a no doubt hook from this particular song. They're just like, they're, they were some of the first like pop songwriters where, like, the hook aspect of it just really, like, uh, got to me. And uh, I just really enjoyed it, like, musically. I took piano lessons starting in, like, second grade. So I always really appreciated clever music structure and clever songwriting. But again, I also think that kind of theatricality that's in it really works on Tragic Kingdom. And even though there are only, like, those two songs that Eric wrote, I do feel like they kind of 
serve as interesting counterpoints to the other songs on there. But yeah, also listening to it this time around really put me in the mind of being conscious of how um, feminine Gwen Stefani's songwriting perspective is um, in a way that's, of course, universally relatable, um, but is very specifically a female voice. I'd love to jump off that and just start talking about Spiderwebs, which is yeah, the opening, let's start going track, the opening track. track, and it's also the first single off the album. Um, I mean, first of all, raise your hand if you had the chorus to the song. Is there outgoing answering machine message at some point? <laughs> they can't see us raising our hands on a podcast. <laughs> We're raising our hands. I'm raising my hand. <laughs> Just Becky raised her hands, for the record. This I know. is why we don't raise our hands on the podcast, because we, then we have to explain who's raising their hands. I'm personally against answering machines, so I just can't participate. I know many answering machine messages that were, sorry, I'm not home right now. I'm walking into spiderwebs. Believe a message, and I'll call you back. Anyway, um, <laughs> for the actual content of the song. Um, Mine I'm, was the climb. <laughs> the whole song. I mean, the song is universal in the fact that somebody is annoying you and you don't want to deal with them. But it's very specifically female because it's almost like a stalker guy like who won't leave a woman alone. And it's scary. Yeah, and it literally was, like, again, that was the first No Doubt song I ever heard. That's the first No and Doubt song like, a lot of people heard. And I was ever. like, the... What is the song actually? The song is about like a really creepy asshole who won't leave her alone. Like it, that alone was so different and interesting to me to hear in like a pop song. Well, it's interesting that like she says spiderwebs because I think that's supposed to be a stand-in for like I'm washing my hair or whatever it is that you say is an excuse for why you don't want to see someone. But that alone is kind of a scary image, and I think it puts this whole song in kind of a slightly menacing context. It also makes her a fly in somebody's web. Right. Yeah. But like the fact that she would say that, I think it's very subtle in the way that it's kind of making that message of, oh, I'm just a helpless little victim, but also saying it in a way where she's rejecting him. Well, and it's subtle for most of the song until the bridge comes because the bridge is now it's gone too deep. You wake me in my sleep. My dreams become nightmares. Um, and even in the music video, I think, is when, like, a similar scene to that plays like out. Like, phones start taking over. Yeah, and yeah. phone cords. Yeah, and it's, and it's again, it's, like, the structure of the song really serves to drive the message home. It is, like, very specific and unique, but it's also just notable as just really good pop songwriting. I think this song sounds as fresh today as it was back then. Like, Easily. I can listen to it a thousand times. Yeah. Every time I hear that bump, 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 like the drums <laughs> yeah. in the beginning, and then they start, like, bump, bump, bump. <laughs> yeah, it's I'm just like no doubt time. <laughs> like you I'm guys, ready for it. <laughs> you guys can't see how ready Becky is for no doubt time. <laughs> She's got her acapella rendition of the every song. <laughs> Becky will now do the brass parts from every no doubt song ever. <laughs> we thought we were kidding, but we weren't. Um. I don't necessarily want to go track by track, but I do want to talk about Excuse Me, Mister, which is the next song. Um, Again, it's very clearly from a female perspective. It's about a guy ignoring his responsibility, implying that he and her had a thing together. She realizes at the end that nothing is going to change this guy's behavior, so she should change her mind about him. And it's just done in such a... just It's a universal topic told through a female perspective in such an introspective, clever way. And also, not just from a female perspective, but addressing and critiquing 
masculinity and masculine like patriarchal authority mm-hmm. like the the whole the even just the construction of like excuse me mister like that is like a it's confrontational it is like directly confrontational but i think it's also done in a way that doesn't call attention to itself Whereas, yes. like, when I was 14... And I don't think it's even necessary uh, political in any way, No. Either. When I was 14, I, I didn't really notice anything particularly female about this album. Like, it was just... I wasn't really paying that much attention to the lyrics, but I just heard Excuse Me, Mister. I'm like, all right, that's a fine name for a song. I mean, the song is not like, get this guy out of my face, you know? <laughs> it's just... It's done in a more clever way where you don't necessarily have to confront the subject of the song to enjoy the song. Yeah. Well, and also I think we should highlight like the bridge in this is like a random little vaudeville play <laughs> in the middle of the bop, song. Bop, bop, bop. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it's just take it away. So... <laughs> <laughs> what should I do? Like it's so, it's so good. And, but again, just still fits in very well with the rest of the song. Like these songs sound super fresh because they're really interestingly written and arranged and performed. Musically, I love that middle bridge section and I love it because it juxtaposes against like the punk of the rest of the song. Exactly. And yeah. I love Spiderwebs and it's so ska. And then all of a sudden the next track is like this, like, bah, 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 and it's all this like mm-hmm. very fast punk. Um, and I think this might be my top five No Doubt songs. It's just there's something about how fast and punk, and I'm really into, like, pop punk. Um, and I just feel like this is the perfect song that blends, like, a confrontational attitude towards the patriarchy and being, you know, a vulnerable woman saying, she's basically saying, this guy's ignoring me, and I'm kind of letting him do it until the end when I decide to change my behavior. Mm. Um, but it's doing in this like very aggressive, like attitude punk way. And I just think it's perfect. Yeah. I think that that spirit is carried over from their previous albums. It's just that I didn't find them nearly as listenable as this album is. So, I mean, let's just go to the third track, which is just a girl. (laughs) I'm not, wait, which one is that again? (laughs) Oh, the Romy and Michelle song. Oh, I'm sorry. Bum, 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 bum. I'm going to do a little <laughs> acapella version. She's going to do this for every track, folks. Wait, Seth, are you ready? Come on, Chris, jump in. what are you going to do? Our listeners have turned off the podcast Okay, so the opening guitar riff is amazing and like super iconic. The first line, take this pink ribbon off my eyes, is, I think, such a great opening line to a song. It's super relevant today. I'm just a girl in the world. That's all that you'll let me be. We're still dealing with this bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, get a load of this bullshit. (laughs) Only a little extra. Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? (laughs) But it is. It's still relevant. We're still dealing with this patriarchy bullshit. And I love that this song is so sarcastic about it in, in your face. And when's the last time you heard, like, a sarcastic pop song? Like, it doesn't happen very often. Take this pink ribbon off my eyes I'm exposed and it's no big surprise Don't you think I know exactly where I stand This world is forcing me to hold your hand Cause I'm just a girl, but they don't know me We don't 
mean, like sarcasm from this perspective is very fresh. And again, like the the song just works so well as a pop song. It like and it has such an anthemic chorus. It's just a real like marriage of lyrics and kind of identity and pop punk songwriting. Yeah, I mean, the subject of this song is probably the most explicitly female that Mm -hmm. um, is on this album or probably any No Doubt song. You can't not notice that what the song is about. I don't think Mm -hmm. it would be possible. Yeah. But the sound of the song is so energetic and fun that it completely, like, erases any weakness that you might otherwise associate with a song that was about being, like, just a girl or something. Like, you can imagine a song called Just a Girl that's a ballad and is just... Mm -hmm. a little bit sappy. And this is absolutely not that. This is a badass song. I don't know anyone who doesn't hear this song and start singing and and dancing. And yeah, like, you know, this song from the very, very first moment you hear those guitar chords. Decades from now, people are still going to recognize the song, sing it in karaoke. It'll be in movies somewhere. I think it's going to last for a very, very long time. Yeah. And I mean, I think this is... One of those, like, singles that puts Gwen Stefani on the level of, like, Debbie Harry and Blondie. Yeah. Where, like, it's a real, again, just a marriage of feminine female pop songwriting with um, ska, with new wave, with punk, with all of those kind of genres that were so affiliated with masculinity and just really inverts them, but still just is so fucking danceable that you're partying no matter what. Yeah, and her performance is so energetic, and she you can tell she's putting so much into this song. I mean, most of these songs, but, like, if this was just a song that someone kind of sang half-assedly, mm-hmm. it just, it wouldn't be the same song at all. Like, you have Mm-mm. to, like, put all of that... I mean, you feel like she's enraged, but she's also really happy. Like, I think you feel, like, this entire range of emotions. And this song feels very contradictory to me, that she's saying that she's just a girl, and there are some things about it that make her... Like, she does sound a little naive and young, and other things where she sounds tough, and it's it's just this, like, I'm a... I'm a whole person, you know? It's like, I'm a complicated person, I have good things about me and bad things about me. And I, I really like that message, that the song is sarcastic, but also not so on the nose, where, like, we really do believe that she is a girl singing this instead of, like, you can imagine a more sarcastic version of this song where you don't even really feel like she's in that stage that she's singing about. I like the music video, um, that it starts off with, like, a guy's a guy's bathroom and a girl's bathroom, and all, the whole band is on the guy's side. She's on the girl's side with two, like, bathroom attendants in the background. Um, and you can tell that she's kind of annoyed that she's stuck in that room, but it soon populates with more women of all different sizes and wearing different things, different races, and then all the guys that fill the men's room hop over and join the girls in the girls' room. And I just thought, as far as, like, a metaphor, that's kind of cool that all the guys want to party with the girls in their space. Girls' bathrooms are nicer. <laughs> you have not been in enough girls' bathrooms. because well, I disgusting. don't think you've been in enough boys' bathrooms. Yeah. I think however disgusting you're thinking of, multiply it by train spotting. Uh, multiply and it by and used tampons. <laughs> End of story. Well, I certainly can't <laughs> compete with used tampons. Well, <laughs> that story's over. That's all the used tampons we have time for. <laughs> 
So I have a question for you guys. Do you like Gwen Stefani's voice? And I ask because I know some people that find her voice annoying. And I remember specifically when I would sing along in the car with her or Alanis, my mom would want me to stop because she said I was going to ruin my voice if I like aped how they sounded. I don't know what you're talking about, Becky. (laughs) I I have no idea. I've always been into very unique and particular vocalists. Alanis very much included in that. (laughs) Um, But really so many others, like before and since. Like, I really like Joanna Newsom, Joni Mitchell, and I've liked some Bob Dylan. (laughs) Depends. Um, (laughs) But my point is, like, songwriting quality and performance um, carry through to me whether or not you have a voice that's different and non-traditionally pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, her voice, again, is just so energetic and active and kind of dynamic. And, like, her her pitch is fine. Like, it's, it's really good in studio and it's really good live. Like, she's always been, like, a really interesting, good singer to me. But her voice is definitely not, like, typical. Mm-hmm. But she also, like, clearly knows that and uses that to serve the songs and to serve the vocal arrangements that go with the songs on the albums. So like I Yeah, I think it even enhances some of the songs like Just a Girl absolutely. because she sounds kind of girlish in that and mm-hmm. she does like this thing with her voice where she's kind of making herself sound coy. Yeah, she or... does like a Cupid doll like voice. I'm just a girl. Yeah. Yeah, like and that's on purpose. Mm-hmm. That's not like some weird vocal tick or something that she doesn't know about. Yeah, in general, I do also like her voice. Um, one of the things I was thinking about in the earlier albums was just that this band, like, I, th- it felt like a band that likes to perform live a lot and almost, like, records albums and writes music as an excuse to perform live. And in a way, I kind of feel that way still about No Doubt is that there's so much energy to these songs and this is a much better album than I think those are, but there's still this, like, joy in the performance of the songs and it's less about the actual like story that they're trying to tell or the actual recording of it and it seems like it's more about the feeling and like all of these songs feel to me like they're just waiting to be performed for people and you've been to many of those performances (laughs) Uh i love gwen's voice every time i hear her voice i'm just happy i could listen to her all day Um, and often do (laughs) another song that really stood out to me was uh happy now Mm -hmm. um and it's one that i hadn't heard in a long time and i've heard a lot more blondie since then and it was really interesting like re-listening to the whole albums this time around really hearing how directly the influences of her songwriting kind of ancestors passed down to her there are songs on these albums that sound like stevie nicks there are songs that sound like blondie but it's not like an imitation of them or like a regurgitation of them to me it's like Gwen Stefani as a songwriter and that band as arrangers of their music like getting to that level of songwriting quality and production like really coming together yeah I liked Hey You as well I'm not sure it's as good of a Barbie and Ken theme song as Barbie Girl <laughs> it's by Aqua but it is still a good one I love this studio recording but one of my favorites versions of Hey You is uh, an acoustic version they do live that was included on one of their like b-sides i mean i've i've literally bought like every single of no doubt because it always came with a b-side that wasn't anywhere else you could get i've had bands where i bought all the b-sides yeah so i think hey you acoustic live was on one of them and i just love it you know it's simple it's simplified and it's just a very sweet song that's just her and i think a guitar 
Yeah, so my very favorite No Doubt song is on this album. It's Sunday Morning. I love Sunday Morning. Yeah, I think it's... I Why mean, do you like it? I love the lyrics. I love the sound of it. <laughs> so I told the Romeo and Michelle story, but when I bought the No Doubt Tragic Kingdom album and listened to Sunday Morning, you know, the opening instrumentation, it sounds... Our new album is coming out later this year. Our acapella Tragic Kingdom mostly brass but other parts sometimes too <laughs> album <laughs> it's every track but just parts of the track <laughs> i'm sorry and none everyone. of the words <laughs> i'm so sorry <laughs> we are not sorry they the are not. You're you're young, saying, last part that we so yes. melodically did for you <laughs> sounds a lot like a music cue when christy masters is walking <laughs> toward Romy and Michelle about to put magnets on their back. And I was convinced that Sunday morning was also in Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. You, it is not. You thought that they like snuck it onto the soundtrack without, without paying a license fee? Yeah, because I, I hadn't only seen Wait, the movie. Wait, or do you think that Gwen Stefani literally snuck onto the set and like played it from a boombox? I think it was you two under the table. <laughs> Yeah, I love that song because I've always had a hard time figuring out what the subject is exactly. It's in ways sounds like she's singing to another female who kind of swooped in and stole someone that she was in love with. And in other ways, to me, it sounds like she's singing it directly to a guy that she was in love with. But either way, I just like the attitude she brings to it. She's talking about thinking that you know someone, but feeling like you've been deceived by them. And to me, like, one of my favorite lyrics probably of all time is just when she says, I thought I knew you oh well instead of so well at the end. Like, just like that flip just really gets me going. I thought you were going to say that, like, one of my favorite feelings is feeling like I've been deceived. <laughs> well, that's also true. I think that's also true. That's I, for a deeper I, level of discussion. I like the whole, like, on my knees, you look like uh, like me on Sunday, like she's talking about, like, at church. Mm -hmm. um, but the whole song is about switching places and viewpoints with someone. Mm -hmm. And it's just done in a really interesting way. Yeah, and I think you're both right that it can be, like, read from either perspective or maybe both at the same time. Some of the best pop songs are the ones that seem like they could be specific but are also completely general. Yeah. And like so much of it is just very completely general but sounds pinpoint such a specific feeling. Right. Like I have no idea what she actually necessarily means by Sunday morning. Like you right. can associate with that 
that with church, but it could be something that random and personal to yeah. her. Yeah. And I, yeah, I also love that it sounds like she's like telling off multiple people at once in this song. Like it's not even a like you hurt me, I'm mad at you. Here's a song about it, but it's like you and you. Like I'm telling you all you off. You and you and that bitch and that girl <laughs> over there. Yeah. And yet it's also like a super happy pop song in the sound of it, which yeah. is fun. It ends and begins, so, like, happy and upbeat. Like, that ending is very harmonious, and it, it becomes, like, almost a Sunday, like, gospel, like, mm-hmm. thing. In the yeah, end. no, in a way, it's funny. It almost reminds me of, like, Elvis Costello. Like, it's not just, like, ska and punk influenced. It's also, like, power pop mm-hmm. influenced yeah, a absolutely. whole lot. Um, and, yeah, that's kind of an aspect of it that really came across listening this time, like, again, only because I've listened to a lot more stuff and, like, really broadened my musical experience since then. Um, but, yeah, like, they they all, both Gwen as a person and songwriter and all of them as a band have so many influences. And they really do, like, synthesize it so well. Um, it's It's crazy that, like, each of these songs that could also have been a huge single, like, whether they were actually singles or not, like, they just stand alone very well. I think we have to talk about the band's biggest song, probably from their entire catalog, is Don't Speak. Yeah, uh, yeah I guess so. Best breakup song ever? I mean, this is still such a fucking hit today. Like, it's such a powerful song. Yeah, it's like, a, and it's a really timeless song. Absolutely timeless. So unique. Like, the second you hear it... <laughs> Every time I'm doing this, but like their hooks are so good. Like yeah. you, yeah, bum, no, bum, bum, like bum, 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 bum. Yeah. They, do, 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 I could go on. Okay. Do, do, do. <laughs> Guys, we're just going to sing the rest of the podcast. Um, I have to disagree on Don't Speak. It's just one of those songs that I've heard too many times. Like I got uh, really. Okay, so I will admit this was like the one song where I don't know if there's any amount of time that will cleanse this from no. my palate. For me, there's not. In order to re like fully re-enjoy, it's I just disagree. But no, that's but because it still gets played so many places. If you ever go to a drugstore, you hear a Don't dentist. Speak. If you ever go to a dentist, if you go to a proctologist. If you go to a urologist, what is there? Are you okay? If you go to a pet detective, <laughs> you will hear this song played on the radio. But beside the fact that it may be overplayed still today, like twenty something years later, like it's a great song. It's still a good song, uh, and I especially still like the solo. Like, it's just a really good, like, solo part. I can't To me, it is one of those, like, dated songs that I'm like, oh, "Oh, that song is so 90s, and I never want to hear it again. I think this could be on the radio today. It's still on the radio today. (laughs) Would you rather hear this or ironic? Oh, I thought this was going to be easy, but apparently not. (laughs) I thought I knew you. Oh, well. Oh, well. This one I have heard to death. I think this is the problem with... But, like, death in the good way. (laughs) 
<laughs> a good death. Well, okay, so I, this is something that I actually wanted to bring up anyway. So, like, I mentioned my friend Desiree at the beginning of this, and when I first bought this album in early 1997, like, No Doubt was really cool. And I think that the success of this song made them mainstream in a way that a lot of people who thought that they were originally kind of like punk or ska or indie kind of turned away from them because Mm -hmm. as happens to like pretty much everyone who has like a massive radio hit like some of their original fans who feel like they discovered them get kind of annoyed that they're so mainstream so like was desiree saying that she had already moved beyond no doubt not just that she knew no doubt right it's like i think she liked them when i got the cd but then as soon as i and many of the rest of the world got on board. She did not like them. And so I got this CD like probably several months at least before Don't Speak was a single. By that time, I had listened to this album a lot and I was kind of one of those people too. I was like, oh, please stop like with this song. Like I still liked the album, but this song kind of went in that direction. And I think is maybe one of the reasons why I turned a bit away from No Doubt after this. I wonder if this is just one of my favorite albums of all time and they're my favorite band because I don't think you have to wonder that (laughs) no because (laughs) these songs just for whatever reason never got I never got tired of them and I've had that experience of other bands that I love where I'm like okay I've heard of this enough oh my god like I need a break but like I feel like I can listen to these songs over and over and I don't know what it is about it but that just must be why I love it so much Mm -hmm. something about it I yeah I will also I think there are songs on this album that Well, I would say that they don't hold up, but I didn't like them that much at the time. So I don't know how you feel about these songs. But Mm -hmm. they did remind me of Jagged Little Pill. What I didn't like about that album, too, was like sort of the wisdom-y songs. Like there are a few of those on Are you talking about The Climb? No, I'm mostly talking about Different People. Oh. Which is about how there are lots of different kinds of people (laughs) in the world. Other different kinds? Yeah, there's different people. I love... What about different ways? Way, yay, (laughs) yay. I like to use that app, Way, yay, (laughs) yays. It gets me where I'm going. I think the spiderwebs, excuse me, Mr. Just a Girl and Happy Now, are so strong that when you get to different people, it's not as strong. So... When I was younger, listening to this, I'd always be like, "Eh, different people's fine." Like, yeah. I actually think, I actually think it's like a great song on its own, but it's surrounded by amazing yeah, it's songs. Surrounded, yeah. Um, but I really, I paid attention to the lyrics this time, and there's a beautiful line in it that says, "A mother can be an inspiration to her little son and change his thoughts, his mind, his life with, with just her gentle hum." And I just thought that's just a beautiful line. Mm-hmm. You don't just you don't hear song. You don't hear, you don't get lyrics like that in a lot of pop songs. Yeah, it's just no, so and it's also like going through it this time. I think I didn't read the lyric sheet along with the CD. Like I didn't do that growing up, um, and doing it this time, like her lyrics were better than I think I gave them credit for because I don't think I interpreted every give her credit. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's not it's not really the fault of her or the production or anything, but it's like. Some of it is just kind of overshadowed by the music in mm-hmm. a lot of places. Um, but yeah, I, I really like that line too. Um, and I don't think that's as strong a song. But again, like even in the songs that I don't like as much, there's always like a great hook. There's like at least one line that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. It's like more poetic than it could otherwise be. There's just a few songs like that, like different people, yeah, sure. then you can do it, world go round. Yeah, you can do it. Like I felt like the the lyrics were not nearly quite as yeah. strong in the, the And I think World Go Round itself. is a pretty song, but it like to me the back half of this album always felt a little too like Kumbaya because of some of those songs. 
And then Tragic Kingdom just kind of reminded me of like bad goth poetry. It's or like a meatloaf song. <laughs> Tragic <laughs> Kingdom is like a fucking meatloaf. It's very song. poetic. It's like an Andrew Lloyd Webber song. It's like super theatrical. Yeah, it's, like that is like yes. the most theatrical song. It's in about the album. Disneyland. Really, really. Is it? I did not. <laughs> I couldn't tell. It was too subtle. I really like the. The lyrics in that song, they pay homage to a king whose dreams are buried in their minds. His tears are frozen stiff. Icicles drip from his eyes. Like, just that imagery is really powerful to me. And the refrain, cornfields of popcorn have yet to spring okay. open. It's okay. just such a great line. So I me. love every part of it, but cornfields of popcorn. You can't repeat the word fucking corn in the same line twice. That is illegal. I, I, can't, <laughs> I literally... I. I'm telling you, I couldn't get past it then. I cannot get past it I didn't it even, like, realize that was the same word, so that didn't... While we're on the subject of <laughs> lyrics, I have to call out, they often stare with their eyes. They often stare with their eyes. All right, they're, that's not the no, greatest. Blame Eric Stefani. He wrote that one. All right. <laughs> no, it's, no, but it's, like, I think it's part of her... I don't know. It's, like, she she is poetic, but sometimes it is kind of silly. But to me, that doesn't really detract from it. Like, I acknowledge that silliness and still enjoy it musically. Yeah. Um, all the lyrics I don't like, I just blame on Eric. I think... <laughs> Who's to know? <laughs> we all blame it on you, and you blame it all on Eric. I feel like this album has amazing tracks and great tracks. <laughs> so the great tracks just aren't as amazing, and they seem kind of like... I. I sometimes would skip them, like, yeah. you know, on my, like, 50th <laughs> listening of the album. Of, of, of the day. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they're as good, but they're still great pop songs, and I think as a whole, they fit into the album seamlessly. Yeah, overall, yeah. I mean, I feel like this album kind of sounds like a 16-year-old girl's diary, even though I know she was a little older than that. But it's very raw and emotional, and I think it's very rough in ways. Like, the writing of the songs isn't perfect. There's some cheesy moments. There's some stuff I could do without. But it all feels like kind of the things that a youngish girl would be thinking of. Like, some days you'd write about, like, a bad breakup, and other days you'd be like, ooh, the world. So many different kinds of people. Like... (laughs) How happy. Uh, and so. You guys, let me tell you what I discovered today. There are so many different kinds of people. Um, but <laughs> it never really was an album I listened to all the way through. At least, like, I, at a certain point, I started skipping songs like Different People and You Can Do It uh, and Tragic Kingdom. So for me, it's amazing songs and mediocre songs and so the balance is pretty good but not like so good that like i i feel like seven or eight songs on this are like great and you could cut out like a few of them and probably have a better album yeah i mostly feel the same way and there are some there are a couple songs at least that kind of sound like they are very very similar songs and like where like the chorus of one could have just been like thrown over to one of the other songs and been okay um, and there were always tracks though, on Tragic Kingdom and on Return of Saturn, definitely, that I cherry-picked. Um, but I also think, Becky, that you're right, that, like, it's not even necessarily that they're, like, weak songs, but it's, like, compared to some of the other juggernauts on that album, it just mm-hmm. kind of isn't 
It's not fair. Just, it's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair to it. It's not, not equal playing ground here. Well, the subject is also just not nearly as interesting as, like, all the stuff that she's revealing on the... Like, all of the songs that gotcha. we're listing as great songs are about being a female in some way and something that feels really personal. And that feels just like I got high and started thinking about. <laughs> and honestly, I wasn't going to bring it up, but it just does sound like Gwen had a spliffy. and <laughs> was thinking about the world. Thinking about the world and its kinds. And they're, and they're really generic thoughts. They don't feel personal, really. Except yeah, for maybe kinda, a couple of don't. lyrics here yeah. and there. But Yeah, I can see that. So let's talk about Return of Saturn, which was their follow-up to Tragic Kingdom. It came out um, April 11th, 2000, on Tra- oh, Trauma Records, Interscope. Mm. Mm-hmm. They crazy. traveled the world on tour for several years, um, and then it just took a while. So this was a very anticipated follow-up, because yeah. it took five years to record. Um, it had bigger budgets, sleeker production. Production was by Glenn Ballard, Jerry Harrison, Matthew oh, Wilder, and No Doubt. Is that um, the guy who Glenn did Ballard, Alanis? Producer mm-hmm. of okay. Alanis Morris. I'm learning, you guys. <laughs> you guys, Chris is growing so much. You know, there was more production value to their music videos this time around. They worked with bigger directors. Very true. Their videos were seen as a bigger deal since they became big. And, you know, they had more visually, visually striking videos. There was more makeup on Gwen. Yes. In this album, they did not have a video that was just them sitting around eating pasta. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, so the four singles from this album were Ex-Girlfriend, Simple Kind of Life, Bathwater, and New. I'll talk about Simple Kind of Life. It's my favorite Note Out song. It's actually funny that my two favorite Note Out songs are on this album, even though I love, love, love Tragic Kingdom as a whole, more than Return of Saturn or anything else they've done. Simple Kind of Life, I would say, is probably in my top five favorite songs by anybody. Totally agree. I always thought I'd be I mean, music video-wise, I think this music video is the best music video they've ever released. She looks incredible. <laughs> I'm not even a lesbian, guys, but like, <laughs> but you guys, she's like, no totally homo. Dumber. She's just I like, totally no homo. No she's homo. just like, I mean, if I was gonna be with a woman, it would be Gwen Stefani. I just think she's like the most gorgeous woman I've ever seen in my life. But she'd probably get annoyed by you constantly doing bass riffs from Tragic Kingdom <laughs> while you're in bed together. So, like, the first time I heard. This song, I think that I had, like, crushes on guys where I had, like, fantasies of marrying them. And I was about 16 years old. And that kind of life was kind of... Simple? (laughs) No. I was 16 years old. And I was just thinking about, you know, being more of an adult and marriage. And that's not something you think about when you have crushes when you're very little. So it was the very first time in my life I was thinking about that when this song kind of came out. And I had always dreamed of being you know in, in entertainment and movies and creating art and 
being an artist and there's just something about the lyrics of this song that really struck a chord with me then that I felt like I just felt like I related to what she was talking about even as a 16 year old that was still in high school. I thought the production of the song was just beautiful and it was very different from things that they released earlier but in just a beautiful way and what I found out after I started to love this song was that this was the first song that Gwen ever wrote without anybody's help. Like she wrote the entire song by herself, the lyrics mm. and the music oh, all by awesome. herself. And I remember watching an interview with her um, about the making of Return of Saturn. And she said she was like so proud of herself and she would like run down and she told the guys, look, I think I wrote a song and she like performed it for them. And there's just something about that that just meant a lot to me of like being proud of writing a song by yourself. And I think she was 30 years old because I remember she dyed her hair pink when she turned 30. And I always thought that was awesome. And I always wanted to do that. And I actually dyed my hair pink earlier than 30, but it was definitely because Gwen did it. (laughs) I just love this song so much. She's speaking from her heart and she's vulnerable. I love the fact that she has like three male band members behind her talking about like how she always thought she'd be a mom and sometimes she wishes for a mistake and there's something about that lyric that you would never ever hear in another pop song that is a band yeah maybe on like a solo artist but like there's just something about that lyric that that makes me like cry when i hear it yeah no like and again like this is an album i think where a lot of her other influences really come to the fore like so ex-girlfriend i thought was really influenced by garbage um and a lot of that I think a lot of other No Doubt songs were kind of influenced by them. Again, not in a way of them like ripping anything off ever, but just in terms of production, um, just really like interesting heavy guitar rock. Um, and I feel like Magic's in the Makeup is a really good like song that reminded me a lot of like Stevie Nicks almost. Hmm. Um, and then uh, too late almost has like a zeppelin or beetle-esque like chord progression i think it's just gorgeous actually pound for pound i think return of saturn may be my favorite no doubt album um because it's got the songs on it that just really again kind of like synthesize like all the different things that no doubt ever was and then also kind of like the best of gwen stefani's songwriting kind of all in one place. And I don't think, like, as an album, it's sequenced as as much of a, like, story as Tragic Kingdom is. But I do think a lot of the songs are stronger. Yeah, I never owned this album and never heard it until two days ago. I'm really surprised by that. Yeah, I think it was because it took them so long to release another album. And in that time, in my circle of friends and what was cool, like, no doubt was kind of not that cool anymore because they had become so mainstream. And then when Ex-Girlfriend, the lead single came out of this, I just wasn't really that into it. I always liked the song New, which is on this album, but I I had that song on the soundtrack to the movie Go. Mm -hmm. So I had already, like, (laughs) I already owned that one. And uh, Simple Kind of Life for me at the time was just a little bit too nice and sweet in general like the music i was listening to had a little bit more edge to it than i felt like this was presenting i still would say i don't really like the song bathwater that much so of the singles that i heard most of them were just like not for me i love bathwater but i have really come to like ex-girlfriends i don't know why it seems like a song you'd like yeah now i like it (laughs) it seems like a you kind of song i didn't listen to the cd enough or album digital album i should say (laughs) digital album disc enough to fully 
like know what other songs that I liked or didn't like. Overall, like when I was listening to it, I did enjoy it. And then oddly enough, I don't know if you have more to say about Return of Saturn, but I did get back onto the No Doubt train with Rocksteady, as we alluded to. Yes, so. we can start talking about Rocksteady. I Just general Return of Saturn, I think it's a beautiful album. It definitely takes a lot of the ska starts to fade away. Yes. And yes. then it kind of is all removed by Rocksteady. Also, uh, one more Return of Saturn thing. The album actually ends with an orchestral arrangement of t- the song Too Late. And I think that was also just like a gorgeous thing. And having discovered the end hidden track of Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill, mm-hmm. I was primed to look for such things on an album like this. So we can talk about Rocksteady. Their next album, it was released in 2001, so that was only a year year, after. Released December 11th, 2001 on Interscope. It was produced by a variety of producers, but including William Orbit, Sly and Robbie, and Nellie Hooper. It had four singles, Hey Baby, Hella Good, Underneath It All, and Running. It sold five million copies, you know, which was pretty, pretty good. It's not, you know, how much did I say? 16 million for Tragic Kingdom? But I mean, that was Tragic Kingdom. Yeah, Um, that was an iconic album. So I remember liking this at the time, definitely, because I was on the No Doubt train, and I think I was... You were driving the train. (laughs) (laughs) You were Uh, the conductor. Becky was the No Doubt conductor. I think that what I love most about No Doubt is captured in Tragic Kingdom and then parts of Return of Saturn, and this was such a departure that I love Rocksteady for different reasons. It kind of feels like a different band in a certain way, Yeah. where they lose a lot of their poetic lyrics and introspection and it becomes much more high concept pop songs. There's a few lines here or there and I really do like the hooks and I listened to it again this week in anticipation of this podcast and I hadn't listened to it since like college. It's been a while and I expected to still have that disappointment but actually I think it's a really solid pop album. It's just a very different one from the two albums that from the four albums that preceded it. It is really different, but it's also, I think there are ways in which a lot of it is a lot poppier, especially songs like Hey Baby and Hella Good. But Hey Baby. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> Great lyrics there. <laughs> uh, but it also has a very like reggae Jamaican sound to yeah, it, which is also Yeah, they went to Jamaica and, and recorded a lot and yeah. wrote a lot there. So even though like you could look at it as kind of a sellout record or whatever, like it's still unusual for a pop record. Like it's not... You know, it, it's not like it's just giving in to, like, what was popular at the time. Like, it has its own unique flavor that's baked in throughout. Yeah, and the whole Jamaica element to it is throughout the album. Yes. So it's not like they just have one song that's, like, the Jamaica song. Like, that is a sound <laughs> they were trying to capture throughout the whole album so that the whole album does feel like a whole piece. Yeah. But Seth has nothing to say. <laughs> hmm. I did not listen to this at the time. Well, were you just turned off by the singles? So you haven't listened to the full album. I've listened to other parts. I haven't listened to the whole album altogether. I did not like the singles. I did not like the other parts of the album that I heard. I think Hey Baby is a really bad example of this album. Like, if you just listen to Hey Baby, like, I like it fine as a song, but I don't think it really represents... I love Hella Good, actually. But it... but Underneath it all is pretty good. Yeah, there's beautiful songs i think that this album is missing the specificity that other their previous songs had that they Mm -hmm. were very specifically about something and had a very specific viewpoint and these are much more broad pop songs without yeah and also i didn't hear any guitar in any of them 
And that did kind of, or any real drums. It's like all synth everything. Yeah, and it's just, it's very earnest. And there's a lot of attitude that's missing that is captured in a lot of parts of Tragic Kingdom that I yeah. really respond to. Yeah. Um. So I do think that these are really strong pop songs. They're just kind of, they're just different. I, I don't think they hold as much meaning to me. Yeah, I can listen to them and dance and be happy and sing along, but yeah. but they're not gonna make me like cry the way like Simple Kind of Life could like make mm-hmm. me cry or or be or like you know yell along with my radio like yeah that's how I feel. <laughs> and so their last album, Push and Shove, came out in 2012, which was about 11 years after Rocksteady. So they were gone for a very long wow. time. But Gwen Stefani was not gone. No, that's right. So it was released September 21st, 2012, on Interscope, produced mostly by Mark Stent. It debuted number three on the album charts, had three singles, Settle Down, Push and Shove, and Looking Hot. Obviously, like, I love No Doubt my whole life. I was really, really looking forward to this, and I was very disappointed. Oh, it was, I think when I bought the album the day it came out, I listened to it once, and I was just like, oh, and I didn't really listen to it again. I have heard none of those songs. They're just... I have no yeah, idea. I don't think I, that they had any big singles off of this. No, they didn't. No. Like they, it didn't. It didn't do well. No one really paid attention to it. I think maybe Settle Down had a little bit more publicity just because it was the first single after so long. But, I mean, I feel like the band even... I think they recorded an album and then scrapped it and then recorded these songs that appear on this album and that's it. Like they didn't do a bunch of songs and narrow it down. They like recorded 10 and then 10 are on the album or whatever the number is. Um, but there's just something lacking about it that even Rocksteady, I can see why it wouldn't be for like for Yusef. Yeah. But like it's still like a whole album and it's got a whole sound that if you hear heard like a B-side from those recording sessions, you'd be like, oh, that's the Rocksteady album. Or that'd be like Return of Saturn. Sure. But this doesn't really feel like it has like a vision or a cohesive sound. Every track kind of sounds vaguely 80s and that's about it. Like there's just nothing that really stands out. None of the lyrics stand out. None of thing that they're talking about really stands out. The point of view isn't there. It's just very, it's very forgettable. Yeah, I listened to a little of it for this, and I liked it more than I was expecting to, just because, like, I think I've had it since 2012 and haven't really listened to it. So I was like, oh, yeah, like, I kind of like some of these songs. But I definitely agree that it nothing stands out about it. It doesn't feel like it has a a point of view or anything specific to say. It feels more like, well, we better make a new album because yeah. it's been a while, so here you go. Yeah, it sounded like, yeah, it's been a while, we have to make an album, or like, we really want to make one, but they had nothing to say. Yeah, there's no passion behind it, I don't think. So are they still together now? Technically, yes, they okay. are. Um, Gwen just released her third solo album, and she's like on The Voice and she has her fashion line and, you know, she's got all these projects. Um, I believe, if not the other three members, then two of the members, I can't believe I can't remember. But I think they formed a side project called like Dreamscape or something with dreams in it. Um, I have yet to listen to it, but I do want to listen to it to see yeah. what it sounds like. Um, but they're, they've they've been doing side projects while Gwen is off making solo albums. So yeah. I don't think they're currently working on new material, um, but they're not broken up. I did enjoy going back down the Gwen Stefani rabbit hole uh, <laughs> because I had forgotten. I mean, I remembered her solo career mostly by Hollow That Girl, <laughs> which is a song that I've also heard enough times to not really want to hear it again. But that uh, that song is still like a hit. Yeah. Like it's it's 
I, I it's gonna be here for a while. Like, no. which is great that yeah. she like released a song that I think like I think it was just uh, I just saw Baby Driver and they reference Hollaback Girl in that movie. I like, think, how many years that later? That song has like thirty words in it total. I don't care. I love it. And okay. like clapping. That's about it. Okay, so like so Gwen Stefani's solo stuff. Obviously, I own all our solo albums too. I saw her on tour on her solo tours, and I like later No Doubt. I love it in a different way apart from No Doubt. I prefer No Doubt Gwen Stefani in 1997 in her little crop top and her like wide pants, you know, on stage screaming at the audience. I don't prefer this like glam, high heel, high fashion Gwen. That is pretty much what she is now yeah. to the world. Mm-hmm. I don't prefer that, but like I still like her and I still think she makes great pop songs, even if they're not as deep as what she previously wrote with No Doubt. Yeah, I was looking at like the track list for Love Angel Music Baby and I had forgotten how many like pretty good pop songs yeah. there are on there. And then it's solid. a few of the ones on the next album, The Sweet Escape, are pretty good, too. I wish um, they combined. Yeah, like if it was just one album. You take the weak tracks off both albums, put the strong tracks together, you'd have like the most amazing pop album. Yeah, like Wind It Up is a super weird song. So I, I like that even when she was doing her solo pop thing, she took some kind of weird risks like Hollaback Girl is a weird sounding song as well like yeah when it up like references the sound of music like it um, yeah yeah it samples the sound of music song so I sound of music fiddler on the roof yeah again she well that was she knows her theater that was a cover ish I guess a sample of yeah. a reggae song that sampled Fiddler on the Roof yeah. that I would dance to all the time at Bar Mitzvahs <laughs> on Long Island. And when she released that, I was like, oh my God, I love this reggae song and you're covering it. I love it. Yeah. Um, and this last album had a couple good singles on it too. I didn't yeah, listen to the whole thing. It's but. not very strong, but it's solid. Like she doesn't make bad music for the most part, maybe like one or two tracks on her solo albums. I'm like, ugh. Yeah. But that's like very, you know, uncommon. So some of them are strong. Most of them are good to like mediocre and only a few are bad. So I have kind of a, like a final question or it's like an observation slash question. Um, an observer question. An observer question. Uh, questurvation. Um, so obviously I'm a fan of No Doubt. Like not as much of not as much a fan of Gwen's solo work, Mm -hmm. but there is an amount and level of cultural appropriation that she does musically and artistically at kind of every stage of her her career. Musically? So musically, like, ska music itself is a kind of mostly white appropriation of Afro-Caribbean music. Then, like, later on with her solo work, like the Harajuku girls, like, she was literally using... And the bindi that she had in the 90s. Like the bindi that she had on her forehead. Um, when she got to the Harajuku phase, like she was literally using Asian girls as props. It's not to take anything away from her songwriting ability at all, or to take away from how she synthesizes 
and gets inspired by other artists like to make her music. Um, but I kind of think there's a level of just very direct cultural appropriation that she got away with because of the time when No Doubt broke through. And I don't think that any other artist coming up now would be able to do that and get away with it. I'll, I'll tell you something um, that you may not be aware of, that on their last album, they had a single Looking Hot, and their music video was Indians and Cowboys, like the Wild West, and Gwen was dressed in, like, Indian, like, oh, braids really? in a teepee and blowing, like, smoke and... Oh, wow. Yeah, it was it was very controversial from the moment it premiered, and they took it down off the internet. So, like... Currently, they can't get away with that. And that yeah. was a really bad that was a really bad thing for them because they had this album that also already wasn't doing well and then they had this like controversy after all of the Harajuku stuff happened right. with Gwen. And I can't excuse it <laughs> like at yeah. any point of her career or no doubt's career. Yeah. I think that the band just has so much goodwill for me that I just kind of brush it under the rug to be perfectly honest. Like I can't explain it and I think they're good people and they don't mean it, but like I can't say that it doesn't mean anything or defend it. <laughs> right. Right. But yeah. Well, and I'm not asking you to defend it. I mean, it was more just like, it was more just a point of like, I, I don't think that someone coming up now, but it's interesting that, you're saying like they can't even get away with it, like they don't get away with it now. Yeah. So I mean, it'll. It's just. And Gwen does not have the Tarajuku girls like following right. her around anymore. <laughs> that doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> They're not still stuck in. No, I think that times have changed, and enough people have trapped in a box. <laughs> <laughs> enough people have said that was pretty uncool what you did, you know, a few years ago yeah. when you had the Harajuku girls, and it's problematic. And I think that they've listened. Like, yeah, now I have a bunch of Indian girls. <laughs> no, well, I think that that kind of points out one thing about Gwen Stefani that I don't know if I would say it rubs me the wrong way, but it kind of has always distanced me from seeing her as a real artist is that she feels like she steps into genres and looks and everything like very easily and there are a lot of other artists who do that like Madonna for example like has had so many different looks and sounds but I always feel like she's driving them whereas in a way I kind of feel like they're driving Gwen Stefani like there's not very much about her that feels consistent from album to album or look to look like it kind of just feels like she's like yeah that's cool I'll do that I agree with that as a critique of her, like, solo stuff onward. I don't agree with it as a critique of, like, No Doubt and her style in that. Like, because, like Becky was saying, like, I do feel there's a very direct and organic um, rise and trajectory through No Doubt's albums, as far as, like, them building musically, and also in terms of the way that Gwen kind of renders herself as part of the songs. Yeah, I wonder if maybe the band for her was kind of a grounding presence that kept yeah, some consistency, so. and without the band backing her, she doesn't necessarily know how to like. Because I do feel something. I do outward. feel like you're so spot on in terms of like that is a critique of her solo stuff, where like the style really does dictate the the content. And I watch her perform live, and she's so dynamic. Like, we were watching a live performance of Just the Girl, Just a Girl, and a, some of the other things that we were watching. And she's a very, very watchable star, but I don't have a sense of who she is. Like, I've rarely seen her speak. And I know she was on The Voice, so a lot of people probably have a. You know what? I don't know much about her. Yeah. But I like that 
I like how I know how she feels through her songs, but I like that she's not this tabloid presence or she's not her personality isn't saturated That's in the, the world th- that like I know everything is, about. She her. is a pop star in a very different way than Madonna. Yeah. She's not a publicity hound. No. You know, and never was. Um, yeah. And so, like, she's able to maintain some degree of distance between her public persona and her, like, performance persona and whoever she is in real life. Yeah. I just, like, don't have a sense of who she is. Like, I, I look I at her and I'm like, sense. I see nothing. Well, let's ask her now. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> I have more of a sense in earlier albums with No Doubt, but I don't get that through her her solo stuff because it is just more generic and it's more broad and it's more like anybody could sing it or have written it. Whereas I feel like early No Doubt has more of a point of view, mm-hmm. like a singular point of view. Um, I believe this was her first bit as a solo artist. I'm not 100% sure, but... One of my very, very favorite songs of all time, ever. Southside. Moby. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it I, was one of her, yeah. That was maybe the first time. She was also, let me blow your mind. Yeah. She's on that song with Eve. Yeah. Oh, that's um, true. Southside is like, if there's one song that takes me back to like me in high school, it might be that one. So thanks, Gwen. <laughs> so I'd like to know what is your favorite No Doubt song? Sunday Morning. Seth? Um... I think too late, maybe, actually. Wow. Yeah. I don't, but it changes. Like, Simple Kind of Life is also way up there. Yeah, mine is yeah. Simple Kind of Life and New. And then maybe, excuse me, mister. Mm. New is also, like, New, Just a Girl, and Sunday Morning would be my three. So I would say that Tragic Kingdom holds up. If you haven't listened to it, please do yourself a favor. It still sounds pretty, pretty fresh, um, even though there's, yeah, there's nothing really on the radio today that really sounds like that album because they were playing instruments <laughs> <laughs> yeah because there were actual musical instruments involved and i'd like to uh conclude this episode with a little horn <laughs> which i believe is the ending trumpet to bathwater so <laughs> oh, oh the ending trumpet of bathwater <laughs> Becky was feeling horny. (laughs) And that's all the we have time for on the When We Were Young podcast. On the next episode of When We Were Young. We're moving with our auntie and uncle in Bel Air. (laughs) You guys, we're going to talk about the gigantic smash hit 90s television show, The Fresh Prince of Bel Air, starring a young man we now know as Alfonso Rivera. (laughs) DJ Jazzy Jeff, anyone? No love for him? Whoever played Carlton? That's Alfonso Rivera. That's Alfonso. You forgot Alfonso. Chris has a lot to learn. I do. I'm unfresh on the Fresh Prince. So if you'd like to join us in our discussion, I don't know, just look up a bunch of episodes of Fresh Prince. We're going to pick a few. We'll freshen you up next time on the When We Were Young podcast, which has been a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed this audiophonic adventure, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a review there of five stars or greater so that can help other people discover the show as well. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash show. Tweet us at show. Send us an email at show at gmail.com if you have suggestions for future episodes. And if you'd like to help us defray the cost of producing a show we bring to you entirely for free, you can contribute to us on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash young. I have been Seth Pearson. Chris. I'm just a girl. That's all that you'll let her, Becky. <laughs> this podcast was great. Yay! Do-do! <laughs>
do do do. I can't see a beat. It's after midnight, you guys. We're gonna let it all hang out. It's hard.